Great. Good morning, everybody. Morning. If I just draw your attention back. Um, as Matt said, my name's Jem. I'm one of the uh, elders at the church here. It's great to be speaking to you this morning. It's a real privilege to, to be bringing the Bible to life, I hope, for all of us. It is the living word of God. It's the word of a living God. So we do expect God to speak and to speak through the word he's given us, through the presence of his spirit. Um, and we were, we were, as we were praying earlier this morning, there was a real reminder that for those who know Jesus, those who literally become followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, God has given us a new nature. And that nature means that we no longer respond to things in the way we used to respond to things. We respond to things out of the new nature that God has given us. And that nature is him. That nature is his spirit living in us. So for all of us who know and follow Jesus, we want to live out what this new nature means. And as we've been going through this book of Corinthians, um, this is what I think God is wanting to speak to us. This is what Paul is wanting the church to know. He's wanting them to know this new nature. And if you remember, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've been studying this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 about love. What does love look like? And not just romantic love, but agape is the, is the Greek word that's used, or agape, um, which speaks of the character of God. It's a love that comes from God that is unconditional. And this is the new nature that God has given us. It's one of love. And so I'm just going to read again the, the passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, from verses 1 to 7. And, uh, and then I'm going to focus on one little bit, as, as we have been over the last few weeks, one little part of that. So if you've got a Bible, you may want to turn to 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to start reading at verse 1. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And the, the, the bit we're going to be looking at today, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And uh, so this is what Paul has wanted to do. He's wanted to, to speak to the church and say, your nature, your new nature, this nature of love that God has put in us, 
means we respond in a different way to the world around us. And one of those ways, as we're looking at this morning, is we do not keep a record of wrongs. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Now, I don't know about you, but I can often come away from conversations with people and situations feeling really frustrated and hurt sometimes because of what people have said, what they haven't said, or what they've done, or what they haven't done. And I will come away mumbling under my breath about that person or about that situation. I will find myself speaking of all the other things that they've done or not done or said and not said. And the more I mumble, the more I dwell on it, the more and more things I can find about that person that makes me think, yeah, they really are not very good, are they? Um, <coughs> excuse me. And if, I, if I'm really not careful, I start to feel really unsettled in myself. I start to feel resentful. I start to feel untrusting of others. Especially, as I say, this is maybe not the first time this has happened. And you start, as I said, to go into your mind about all the other things, and you build up, and you build up, and you build up. In the words of a country and Western singer, you build up all those things that have done me wrong. And if we hold on to those things for too long, though, it builds into resentment that could spill over into anger and violence and harsh words. All the things that we've been looking at over the last few weeks. So all these things tie up together in this idea of keeping no record of wrongs. Because if we keep a record of wrongs against someone, it's easy to be angry with them, isn't it? It's easy if time and time again they do the same thing and we just get frustrated. It's so easy to build over into anger and to violence and to resentment. I think there are two aspects of this idea about keeping a record of wrongs that I just want to sort of bring out, really. One is firstly the idea of keeping a record or an account of what others have done to us. There's a physical thing, or it may be a mental thing, that you keep this record in your head. You keep it written down. You have this idea of, yes, there are things that God has done wrong, or this person, sorry, this person has done wrong against me. But then there's also the emotion or feeling of satisfaction we get from keeping that record. The reason we may want to keep that record is to rejoice in identifying yet another wrong that that person has done. The verb here is about keeping a record is not thinking on it. That's the challenge, is not thinking on it. And our old nature, uh, uh, before we became followers of Jesus, our old nature actually is rather than not to keep records, is actually to build records of wrongdoing. And why? Because I think it... It, it leads into three things. One is that it helps us be independent and self-sufficient. It helps me to be self-righteous. So if I keep a record of wrongs that other people have done to me, what I can see is actually, oh, it's everyone else, isn't it? It's everyone else. It's not me. I don't need to deal with anything. I'm perfect. I'm okay. Everyone else is out to get me. That's the danger that can happen when we start to build records of wrongs. There's also that self-righteousness and justification. I often hear, and I've often said myself, oh, I have forgiven them and it is forgotten. It's, saying, it's as if saying those words, the forgiveness has happened. The thing has been forgotten. But often the reality is it hasn't. It's not been dealt with. I've just said these words, 
So I appear super spiritual or more holy than the other person. And I become self-righteous. I can justify myself. It's actually a form of boasting when we say those words sometimes. It's not a real act of forgiving and, and forgetting this record of wrong. It's actually a way of bringing self-justification. So the more records of wrongs against us we can build, the more self-righteous and justified I can become. I am the more holy because I just choose to forgive. But I'm still keeping that record. Also, it just leads to a lack of respect and trust of others, which leads to broken relationships. Oh, I can't ask that person to do that thing again. They let me down last time. Ah, and you often find yourself, don't you, saying, oh, don't bother, I'll do it myself. Because you remember the time and time again that they've not done what you've asked them to do. And so you get to that point, if you keep that record of wrongs, saying, it's all right, you're not worthy, I can't trust you, I'm going to do it myself. It's a real real danger, and we all are familiar with that. If you're in a position of leadership, whether it's in a church setting, whether it's in a, a work setting, you'll be familiar with this. If you're in a place where, out of love, you serve those who are struggling, you serve those who are struggling or in need, you'll probably be familiar with this. If you're married, you will undoubtedly be familiar with this. In fact, unless you live in a complete bubble with everything done for you and delivered to you by robots, then it is something we all have to deal with, sort of wrongs. In fact, our human nature, our old nature, is we tend to build a record of wrongs rather than keep no record of wrongs. And yet this list Paul writes is saying this is one of the things that how love is demonstrated, how the love of God is demonstrated. And we're faced with this challenge then of how do we keep no records of wrong? And on the face of it, it seems quite simple, doesn't it? We all think, yeah, keep no record of wrongs. Yeah, we'd love to sign up to that, love to do that. But actually, the complexity of it, the actual practicality of it, as we've been looking at with all these other attributes of love, is far more complex and a little more challenging than we first realize. The example and teaching of Jesus, for example, another another teacher in the Bible, how shows how we handle wrongs against us. It's not just a matter of simply saying, "Oh, I forgive you." It's all in the past. Because, as I said, you. The next time someone says something, annoys us, upsets us, or hurts us, our tendency is to bring up all those other, other occasions rather than to keep no record of wrongs. And Jesus also teaches us as a very interesting thing. He says that actually, if, we, if someone has done something wrong against us, we're actually go to them, to go to them and challenge them. And he says, if that doesn't work, then take along a couple of witnesses. And if that doesn't work, take it before the elders and the church. And if that doesn't work, you're to put them out of the fellowship for a period. Now that doesn't sound like keeping a record of wrongs, does it? In the context that we might think of it. And there's also the sense of justice, isn't there? The principle of judgment and justice. It's important to keep accounts, Those of you who own your own business, I bet you have accounts, don't you? You have accounts? Yeah? (laughs) Imagine if you didn't have accounts. It'd be a right mess, wouldn't it? (laughs) 
How do you know what, would, uh, what someone owed you? How would you know it? We do, so this, it's, it's far more complex than just saying we don't keep an account. We don't keep a record of wrongs. Because it seems to be the Bible says, well, there is an accounting. There is a reckoning. So how do we deal with it? So I, I came this morning. I've been away for a week. We're privileged being on holiday for a week. Um, although we're with family and one of the kids we were with got chicken pox halfway through the week. So that was a bit of a challenge, to say the least. Um, it was only two and a half, nearly three. So it's like up 30 times in the night. But anyway, been, been away a week. I came back and there's a, I don't know if you noticed, there's a pile of rubbish down the alleyway. There was a pile of rubbish <laughs> down the alleyway to the church here. Two weeks before I went away, there was a pile of rubbish. Not as big as the pile of rubbish we have now, but there was a pile of rubbish there. Now, we have an account with a waste company. I'm not going to name them here. This is recorded. Um, but, you know, if I didn't keep an account of the amount of times the rubbish hasn't been collected, what's going to happen? Exactly what's been happening. There's going to be a build-up of rubbish. So keeping accounts is important, isn't it? But it's handling that well, and what do we do with that? And how do we keep no records of wrongs? So there's all these principles that I think we, we battle with, don't we, when we come across these statements. When we think about loving like God, we're faced with what seems to be, oh, yeah, don't do this. Oh, but it seems to say, I do this. How do we manage them? How do we bring them together? Paul writes that we don't just, in this sense, we don't just brush them under the carpet. That's the thing is, if we, if we didn't keep accounts of what people owed us, we wouldn't get paid. If we didn't keep accounts of the times of, the times of rubbish that we wasn't collected, we wouldn't have a, a, a case against them not fulfilling their contract. Remove the waste, as we've asked them to do. And we have that tendency sometimes, don't we? That sense of, as I say, oh, well, I've forgiven them and forgotten it. We haven't really. We've not dealt with it. We've just brushed it under the carpet. And if we're not careful, do you know what happens if you keep brushing things under a carpet? If you've got a carpet, that is. Um, it's, I mean, this is a phrase, isn't it? We use these phrases, don't we? we sometimes we know what we mean. But people would have literally a carpet in their floor, and they would sweep the floor. And if you're lazy, I'm just going to brush it under the carpet. The problem is if you keep brushing things under the carpet, you don't deal with the rubbish, do you? You don't deal with the dust and everything that's on there. You just end up with a carpet that's a big mound in the middle of your room. And, the, and if you're not careful, at some point, that is going to explode. The, the mound under the carpet is going to explode and it's all going to come out again. And that's how our emotions often work, don't they? If we don't really deal with the wrongs that people do us, if we don't deal with it, handle it well, do it, forget about it, handle it, move on, then all we're doing is causing up a massive mountain that at some point will either leak out or it will explode with people around us. And we're all familiar with that, aren't we? We've all been in those moments when we've just got so angry with a particular situation, we've just exploded in words or action. And it may, not, it may be a very small thing, but because all sorts of other things have happened that we've not dealt with, we've been brushing it under the carpet, 
it explodes out of us. So Paul loves the Corinthian church and he, want, he doesn't want them to get down this avenue where all their relationships are going to end up exploding. There's going to be anger and resentment and superiority as we've been looking at. He says, no, we must love. Love like God does. So how do we deal with this? And it is about how, how God deals with us. It's about forgiveness. Keeping no record of wrongs mean we need to forgive well and to forgive in the way God forgives us. There's another great expression we use, isn't it, called wiping the slate clean. <laughs> and if you're old enough, in fact, probably there aren't many people who are old enough now to remember slates, are there at school? Um, or chalkboards. Um, but that's the beauty of it. You could write on it. And often they work. People would write on the list of accounts. So Joe Bloggs owes me £3.50 or three shillings, and we're going back to Imperial, aren't we, next week? Who knows? We could be weighing in pounds and ounces again. <laughs> Half of you don't even know what pounds and ounces are. Um, but that idea of that slate, they owe me £3.50 for this thing. And once that £3.50 was paid, they'd wipe it off the slate. It had gone completely because the debt had been paid. Paul is saying, when we talk about righting their wrongs, he's talking about wiping the slate clean. And I believe we can only do this by understanding how God has wiped our slate clean and forgiven us. We can't really keep no record of wrongs. We can't really handle forgiveness well unless we have personally experienced and know the forgiveness of God in our lives. The heart of combating this forgiveness is the idea of cancelling out the debts. <coughs> As I said, we're using the word agape here, and it reflects the character of God. This is, this is how Paul talks about the love of God and the character of God. Forgiveness starts with God. His love towards us and his forgiveness of us through Jesus on the cross is an example of what it is to be forgiven. Jesus says, doesn't he, even on the cross, he says, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. The right at the moment of Jesus' death on the cross, he's saying and asking God to forgive them. He's saying, God, would you forgive them even though they're not in a position to acknowledge it at the moment? You forgive them through what I'm about to do. In the ESV, um, the, the study notes say that forgiveness is a release from guilt and the re-establishment of relationship. The release from guilt and the re-establishment of relationship. So as we, we look at that, in the biblical understanding of forgiveness, there has to be a reckoning. The Bible talks a number of, in a number of ways about what Jesus has done on the cross to provide forgiveness for us. He gives various illustrations. There's a couple, really. One is an accounting sense, so redemption. And the other is a legal sense called justification. These are sort of biblical terms that we understand how God has forgiven us. There are many other ways and pictures of, of the way God forgives us, but for our purpose this morning, I want to just see about how God forgives us through redemption 
be redeeming us from a debt, buying us back from something that we owe, that we can't pay, but also a standing of legality that means not only has that account be recognized and there's a sentence for that, but we've been pardoned from it. And that's what the Bible tells us God does. Because our sins are accounted against us by God. Romans 1.32, it says, God's righteousness decreed that those who practice such things, the sins he lists in that passage, deserve to die. For God, there is an accounting of sin. But Jesus has paid the debt for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, it says, God in Christ does not reckon our sins against us. So there is a record of sin that we have before God. God has an account of sin in our lives as individuals. And we have against our name on the slate, Jem did this against God. Jem did this against God. Jem did this against God. Jem said that against God. Jem did this against someone else and it angered God, it hurt God. There's a reckoning there. There's an account, and I can't pay that account. There's no matter how much I try, that account has not been dealt with properly. I can't deal with it. And the Bible tells us that that account, our sin, our reckoning before God, has been dealt with through Jesus on the cross. So the debt that's there, Jesus has paid. He's come along and paid all the things that I was in debt for. He's paid it with his perfect righteousness because he never ever did anything against God he is God he says the Bible says he's the perfect righteous man and so he paid my imperfect righteousness or my unrighteousness with his perfect righteousness so that slate before God has been wiped clean by Jesus and as soon as anything else gets written on there because you know what I'm not perfect. Every day, I have to come to God and say, God, what have I done today? What, what are my motives? What's my heart? Where are my thoughts at this morning? Are they aligned with you? And I know some of them are not. And I know there'll be moments when that, that, there's writing appearing on the slate again. But if I come to Jesus, he says, no, that's already been dealt with. It's perfectly okay. We'll wipe the slate clean. It's gone. We're not building up another record. We just wipe the slate completely clean. So we've been redeemed from this debt that we could never pay. And that is ongoing. The Bible tells us that God's mercies are new every morning. That's the beauty of it. That I can come before God and, and say, Lord, I have angered you. I have upset you. I have sinned against you. But I trust in the blood of Jesus. And I have been forgiven my sin. So that's we've been redeemed. There's also been justified. And 2 Thessalonians 2.12, Paul writes that in order that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but have pleasure in unrighteousness. A sense of condemned. There's a judgment already. For those who have sinned against God, we already stand condemned. <coughs> Excuse me. But to be justified means to be declared legally righteous before God. It means that as the divine judge... God looks on those who are in Jesus and declares them, yep, yeah, you're guilty as charged. 
You are a sinner. You have done all these things against me. There is a sentence. That sentence is death. But you know what? I'm going to pay that sentence for you and pardon you completely. I'm going to let you off this judgment. We are justified before God. We've been pardoned and accepted. But God chose not to keep our sins against us. He chose to pardon our sentence against us because of our sin. And Jesus tells a parable about the way of forgiveness and the way God shows forgiveness. We often, if you know it, if you know your Bible, you may have read it, the story, or even if you, you know, you would have heard a reference to it called the prodigal son. And the prodigal son is about a father who has two boys, two sons. One who squanders all he has. He demands his inheritance right at the beginning and says, Father, I can't wait to inherit this. I need it now. Um, and the one son stays at home and works hard, works hard on the, on the, on the land and the farm and the, the manor house, if you like. And the one son goes and he squanders it all. He blows it all, every last thing, until he ends up living in squalor. Nothing left. He's having to work so hard. And at that point, he realizes, you know what, it would even be, if, if I was a servant in my father's house, I'd be treated better than I am here. He recognizes the position he's got to, and he goes back to his father's house. And what happens when the father sees him coming along? He doesn't go, that's my son. You know what? Before you come into this house, I need to tell you what you've done. You've done this. You've done that. You've done that. You've brought dishonor on me. You've brought shame on the family. You've squandered your inheritance. You don't deserve to come back. You're not. He doesn't say that. He runs to his son and puts a robe on him and says, you're welcome back into my family. You're welcome back into the family. And this, the man comes forth and he says, Father, I know I've sinned against you. I know I've done this. And he wraps him up in this cloak and says, come on in. And he commands the servants to go and fill the fatted calf. And they have a massive feast in celebration. There's no condemnation from the father to this son who squandered everything. But the son out in the field, he hears all the commotion that's going on. And he comes running in and the servants say, amazing your brother one who was lost he's come back and the, the the other brother goes why why are we doing this surely he deserves judgment surely he deserves punishment for squandering everything he did and often that's where our heart can be isn't it we can be that older son keeping a record of wrongs Whereas the father, in Jesus' story representing God, is saying, no, I know you've done all this. You know you've done all this. That's why you're coming back to me and you're falling on your knees before me. I know that. But I love you and I'm going to restore you into the family again. I'm going to give you the robe that was yours. I'm going to bring you back into right relationship." Excuse me, free that sense of forgiveness is release from guilt and the reestablishment of relationship. And that wonderful picture of how God forgives us through that story 
is amazing. And that happens through the work of Jesus on the cross. So how do we do that? What does this look like for us? We've been given a new nature. We've been given the nature of Christ. And yet we continue to struggle, don't we, with the world, people, church, everyone around us, ourselves. We battle with this idea of forgiveness and moving on. But if we truly want to keep no record of wrongs, we have to live out really a life, I think, of humility, forgiveness, and love. It starts really with us. Forgiveness starts with God. God came and reached out to us. He's forgiven us in Christ. He's wiped the debt clean. The slate is clean from our sin before God. We've been legally justified as right before God. That has happened. That's been done. For those of you who know Jesus, who follow Jesus, know that. And Paul wants the church in Corinthians to know that. And I want us to know that. That's our foundation point. The love of God, the forgiveness of God in our lives. Our sins have been forgotten. It says our sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. There's no longer this slate of sin before God. It's been wiped completely clean. And we come before God this morning. We know Jesus, through Jesus, in this position. But we are also to respond to this, aren't we? If we're, if we're going to live out what it is to keep no records of wrong, we need to be practicing what forgiveness looks like. But it starts with ourselves. We need to be accountable, don't we, for ourselves. Firstly, we need to be accountable before God for ourselves. That story talks about the son coming back. He recognized he was wrong. He knew the character of his father, he would be welcomed back, but he knew that he'd done wrong. He knew he didn't deserve to come back. He knew he'd done something terrible, but he, he got to the point of humility in recognizing that, and he came back before, before his father. And we need to do that. We need to do that every day. We need to be bringing ourselves to Jesus because it's at Jesus we find the forgiveness of God. And we, from that, we find the ability to forgive others. So it starts with ourselves. It starts with coming each day to the cross and reminding ourselves of what Jesus has done. Reminding ourselves of the last words of Jesus, forgive them for they do not know what they do. We find the forgiveness of God, the initiation of forgiveness through the cross and Jesus. We find the love of God expressed in that. And we need to come back to that each and every day. Now, you may not be a follower of Jesus yet here this morning. This is the kind of life that God wants for you. He wants you to know his love for you. He wants to know that no matter what you have done in the past, you can come to him today and say, Jesus, I put my trust in you. I put my trust and believe in what you did on the cross, in paying my debt, in making me right before God. I believe that you've raised from the dead and, you, and you, you can give me power today to live for you through your Holy Spirit. You can come and make that confession, make that step this morning. And God will help you. But also another practical way I think of being accountable is just asking God, what have I done against anybody? Um, what have I done yesterday or what have I done this week? Have I done anything? that I need to go and ask forgiveness for? Have I done anything that I need to be humble about 
and say, I've done this wrong. I acknowledge this. And go to someone and say that. Ask God to reveal it. But also, I would say, ask someone you trust as well. Very practical way. Ask another brother or sister who's part of the church that you know and trust and say, you know what? I I did this. What do you think about that? Um, And hopefully they'll be honest enough to say, you know what? Yeah, that really doesn't sound great. I think you need to go and ask for forgiveness. I I think you need to go and speak to them and say to them this. Tell you what, if each and every one of us did that, that would be amazing. That's a great starting place. Be accountable for yourself. And as we, as we become accountable, as, as we go and ask for forgiveness, we are able to forgive others. Because once you receive forgiveness, it's easy to forgive someone else, isn't it? I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you've been to someone and said, you know what, I've, really, I've done this against you. I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have said that or I shouldn't have done that. And they've said, you know what, yeah, you're right. Because <laughs> there's acknowledgement that it's happened. You can't just brush it under the carpet. You've got to acknowledge it happened. Yeah, you're right. But you know what? Thank you so much for saying that. You know what? I have forgiven you for that. We've forgotten about it. I'm not going to hold that against you again. Hard to do, but that's what it is. It starts with us often, very often, coming towards others. And we experience that. We are in a position to forgive others, aren't we? So humility and repentance starts with us repenting before God. Starts with us repenting before each other, where maybe we've hurt one another. And then there's also the bit about one anothering, mending relationships, building trust. Let's say one of the, the outcomes of keeping a record of wrongs is it leads to broken relationships. We resent people because we think they're continually doing wrong against us. We don't trust them to do things. We don't trust them to share our, uh, what's happening in our lives because we just think they'll let us down time and time again. So actually, we need to start rebuilding. Part of forgiveness, part of keeping a record of wrongs is rebuilding relationship and rebuilding trust. <coughs> Excuse me. This passage is all about this use of spiritual gifts. Let's not forget that. Paul's been talking about the use of spiritual gifts in the church. And what, do we, what are spiritual gifts there in the church for? Tear people down? Continually remind people of their sin and how they're wrong? To stand up at the front and for me to come and say, or Matt to come and say, oh, you know what? You've done this again. Jim? You've done us again. Oh, does that make you feel bad? It should make you feel bad. No. Spiritual gifts are there to build one another up and to build the church, to restore relationships, to maintain the right perspective about who we are and who others are in Christ. So we sometimes need to bring those things to God again. So where others have wronged us, we need to bring it to God and say, God, I feel wronged in this situation. I'm going to give it to you. God, would you help me forgive someone in this? As you've forgiven me, would you help me forgive them? Simple. Starts with us. And then we can ask for help to forgive others. 
But also, I think we need to know, and, and as we do love each other, we need to sometimes challenge each other on these things. Because if people are not challenged on their wrong that they've done to you, they may do it to someone else. And that will continue to break relationships. It will continue to destroy relationships. It will, it will hurt that person. I love it in this letter to the Corinthians. It finishes, after all this challenge, after all this stuff that Paul says the church is doing wrong, it finishes by saying, I love you. It finishes right at the end of the, the, church, the, the, the letter by Paul says, I love you, the church there, I love you. Um, and so all of this stuff is because he loves them. He doesn't want to see them go down these roads. He doesn't want to see them hurt. He doesn't want to see them destroyed. He doesn't want to see relationships broken. He wants all this to happen again. So sometimes we need to go to people. Paul came to the church in Corinth. He'd been upset and hurt by them. But he comes to them and writes to them and challenges them and said, you know what, you've done this. You've hurt me in this. But there is a way forward. It's to love. You've been given a new nature. It's come and ask God to help. So sometimes we need to go and confront people, not in a nasty way, not in a judgmental way, but to say, I don't know if you realize this, but when you said this or when you did that, it really caused me to feel hurt. As we do that, it gives a person an opportunity to repent. It gives them the opportunity to be humble and, and, and humble themselves. Now, we all know that doesn't always happen, does it? And that's why we have some of these challenges that Jesus writes about, about how you handle those where constant challenges are there, constant unforgiveness, constant unrepentance and feeling sorry and willingness to restore broken relationships happen. And we also need to ask people to do things again. Where they've let us down maybe before, we just say, no, do it. I'll ask you, could you do this for me? And rather than just leave them to it, encourage them, help them, support them, train them. That's the important thing, isn't it? When we, we're about trusting people and asking them to do things. is being in that position of relationship to say, well, you're not doing this right, but let me help you. Or have you tried this? Rather than just saying, oh, you've done it again. That's keeping a record of wrong. But trusting and nurturing and helping to grow and training and supporting, that is keeping no record of wrongs. It's helping people to grow. It's helping people to mature. And we do that the same with their relationship with God. And for our community around us, they need to know this love of God that wipes the, slates, wipes the slate clean, don't they? They're living under this old nature, under God's condemnation. And as we demonstrate it as the church, how to forgive well and properly and appropriately, as we show love, and people around us will see a thing they want to be part of. They'll want forgiveness. So we need to speak and we need to act. We need to speak to God, confess our sins. We need to speak to each other, be humble and confess where we've done wrong. And we need to act. We need to go to people and we need to encourage them. We need to confront and we need to forgive. Let's stand together. I know this will be different. I'm going to ask the band up. Hopefully we've got song words now. Thanks, Joel. The, the forgiveness that God has given us. And you know what? There may be stuff that God speaks to us about. The Holy Spirit comes. He gives gifts for the building up and the encouragement of the church. And if you've got anything 
you feel is from God, please come. Matt is here at the front. He can help you um, to share that, facilitate that, so that we do hear from God. But let's start by taking this moment to reflect again on the goodness, the mercy, the kindness, and love of God. The Holy Spirit, come and help us. Help us this week. Help us to recognize our own sin and our own faults and our own wrongdoing against others. Help us to be humble in that, Lord, and help us to acknowledge that before you and help us to acknowledge it before others so that we can restore relationship. And as, and as, as we confess our sin and our wrongdoing before others, Lord, would you help, and they would confess sins to us and wrongdoing to us, would we have your help and power to forgive them? build relationship and trust again where broken relationships have happened. Just come Holy Spirit and help us.